I'm still a beginner, really. There's so many parts of Blender that I just completely don't know. I literally don't remember the name of that software, unfortunately. It can be a dangerous starting point. Maybe when I'm 100 years old, I'll finally have learned Blender. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't do anything. It's not my fault. Pause and rewind and comment underneath. Welcome everyone to Subsurface Talks, uh, the new podcast about CG, computer-generated imagery, artists' life and the meaning of life. So today I'm super excited to have Jan van den Hemel. Am I, am I pronouncing that yes, correctly? Yes, perfect. Oh, that's great. It's I'm not <laughs> going to try your name. <laughs> okay, we can, we can talk about that later, but I'm just, I'm just calling myself DJ. That's, uh, DJ, okay. Yeah, that's, that's really the first that's letters great. of my surname and name, and I'm using it as a nickname. So you can all call me DJ. Uh, and uh, Jan, uh, some some of you might have um, encountered some of his videos probably you might not know the name but you know the channel that he's running that's most probably if you're a blender user and if you watch uh, youtube tutorials and jan uh, runs uh, blender secrets youtube channel uh, offering daily um, tips for doing blender blender work like to improve your workflow so jan can you tell a little bit about yourself what you do and is that channel the only thing that you do or pretty much yeah no that sums it up actually <laughs> i used to be a, a 3d freelancer and uh well I've, I've done all kinds of jobs to be honest but uh yeah recently i'm just doing blender secrets so i'm just uh really honestly i'm just learning blender <laughs> to be honest like a lot of tutorial makers i think just uh, trying to get better at blender and uh, whenever i find some roadblock i try to solve it and then turn it into a little one minute tutorial and um, yeah and other than that i'm just maintaining my book i have the almost 2000 page pdf and uh, that's also a lot of work of course because a lot of things change in blender as you i'm sure know uh, shortcuts change uh, whole workflows change interfaces so that's uh, always uh, a lot of work also to maintain that but uh yeah i'm just doing blender secrets now yeah so that's that that's the thing about uh software that is evolving and people like always wanted to get better they wanted to change but then when it changes they also have like an issue and problem yeah. at the same time uh yeah but it's i guess it keeps your work relevant all the time yeah it's it's kind of a double-edged sword isn't it i mean at the same time it's good for me because it means i get to update my book all the time and stays relevant and there's something for people to there's a reason for people to buy the book because they know they can get the free updates and so on and I will always have topics for the videos because I can just, even if I have no idea for a topic, I can just go back to the very first one and it will already be out of date. So I can remake that. But at the same time, of course, you're constantly learning and uh, but I kind of like learning. So it's fine with me. Yeah. So, so you can get the perspective of your, of your viewers because you're learning yourself and then you're sharing this. With I'm, your I'm, a, I'm still a beginner, really. Even though I have uh, years of experience, I just, there are so many parts of Blender that I just completely don't know, like geometry nodes. I just started learning the with the course from Simon Thomas on Blender Cloud. It's yeah. so difficult for me. <laughs> it's like a completely new. It's thing. like a great introduction. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a different different paradigm of of working than just like modeling hand modeling. It's it's like you have yeah. to kind of like twist your brain. Yeah. It's I'm I'm not a math guy, so uh, yeah. But I wanted to touch up upon this uh, yeah. always noob approach because it seems like people people are sometimes intimidated by that. By that, like whether I want to yeah. learn Blender, and it's like it seems like a so so hard learning curve, and in fact, it's like you you never get there. It's always chase, chasing yeah. the rabbit, not catching it, right? Yeah, you never, you'll never get to the end. Maybe when I'm 100 years old, I'll finally have learned Blender. <laughs> but no, I think, I think it's better not to focus too much on, on the big picture. It's just a good idea to approach it from like a little project. Like I want to make this, I don't know, I, I would say a character, but it's even a character is already a lot, right? Just uh, if you want to just model like a piece of furniture or something, I think that's a really good starting point. Like you want to model a chair or a shelf or just whatever you find in your room that you think is an interesting shape. And then just try it and 
that way you learn a lot and then you can move on to something more difficult. And that's just, yeah, that's, that's the path. You just have to follow what you find interesting, I think, and not look at, I have to learn everything because you won't, you, you can't. I think even Ton Rosendahl doesn't know everything. Yeah, <laughs> Probably exactly. nobody, nobody who works at Blender knows all about Blender either. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a community project all, yeah. so. Uh, and let me get back to maybe uh, that, that part that you mentioned, uh, starting a project that, that's interesting for you. So I wanted to ask you, uh, what was like this initial spark that, that drove you to learning CG and Blender? Like what, what, what was the, the thing that you wanted to make with, with it? Yeah. So yeah. you decided yeah, to that's learn That's a good it. question. Uh, it's almost hard to remember for me because I guess it was when I was in film school, I was making all kinds of science fiction short films and stuff like that. And of course, yeah, I was just a film student, so I just had to do everything myself. And uh, yeah, I just learned, like, for example, I wanted to make a little robot character, I think, in one of the short films. And probably actually the first thing I ever did was make some kind of uh, time travel portal or something in a, in a short film. But yeah, all of those things you need to you need to do it yourself when you're a student. So I think I just kind of I never really thought about like ah oh, I want to learn 3D. It was just one of the many many things I had to do making a short film. And it was only one of my teachers asked me like why don't you focus on that? Because uh, maybe you're good at that. Maybe it's an interesting direction. That I first started consciously thinking like oh yeah I guess I have been doing 3D. <laughs> I just never really, it was never really a conscious choice, but it was, I think, yeah, like a, a time travel portal was one of the first projects and uh, a robot, uh, which is what I'm still trying to make actually. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess that's, that's kind of uh, yeah, like pop, a popular way of getting into like, for me, it was like ArcVisa, I was like doing uh, yeah. design, started, started like using Blender for my projects, like slowly trying to learn. Like uh, I, I researched for my one of my first uh, renders recently. Someone asked me to show it, and yeah, it was kind of funny. You know, this this time travel <laughs> kind of loophole, uh, yeah. going back to to where you started, and it's like it was so crappy. So uh, it's all about the journey. You have to like make make yeah. the first step, and then it's it just takes you. You you don't yeah. know where it takes you. Right now, it's. Yeah. It's not obvious for me anymore, like not, not that much at least. Mm. Uh, I think that's also, it can be a dangerous starting point to to just choose, like like for example, I tried to make a robot, right? But it's, it's far too difficult for a first project. That's really advanced because it's a character, it has hard servers, it has texturing, animation rigging. <laughs> so I think that can be dangerous. And I, I, I do see that often, when I read comments on tutorials, that people are coming at it from kind of a strange direction, like they skip a lot of the basic stuff, the foundation, I guess you could call it, and they go straight into something very difficult, which I don't know, it can be fun, of course, but it can also be very frustrating because you'll just get stuck so many times that you give up. Mm, that's uh, that's kind of um, interesting. Uh the yeah the hard uh, learning curve and you, you mentioned that you know trying to to tackle something too difficult and now it kind of top, taps uh, to the to this current you know ai controversy that people are trying to kind of like cut corners and jump straight into creating advanced art and they're using yeah. like the image generators you know the, the 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 new term that popped out recently i was listening to one of the podcasts about it and they came up with a with a name Promptist instead of artist. <laughs> I found, found it quite cool. Uh, yeah. I think on Twitter, I, I follow a lot of Japanese concert artists and I think they call it a prompt ninja. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I think you can still see it that uh, there's experience behind it or not because I, I do find some AI art interesting. Like there are some people who make really bizarre images like uh, almost like alternate dimension versions of movies that you know. And um, they all kind of have that mid-journey look, but it's definitely concept art that I've never seen before. Like, it may be trained on a lot of stuff, but it's really not anybody's recognizable style. 
But when you go to those artists' art station profile, they have a lot of work that they've made themselves. So they are they are very good already without the AI. And I think in their hands, it's a very powerful tool. And if it's somebody who's just a prompt artist, you can kind of tell it's just mid-journey making something. And they're taking credit for it. But I, I, I was excited actually about mid-journey when I first when it first came out. And I thought maybe it's a good tool for making textures, for example, because I'm always trying to find really interesting textures with photography. I just bring my camera everywhere. But sometimes it's difficult to find something and I thought maybe I can use it for that, but it was so difficult to get what I wanted. Just mid-journey just wants to make a specific kind of image, I feel. Yeah, and I think so that's... I, I just abandoned it at that point. <laughs> that's like like this is a topic for, for probably for a whole episode, but I just wanted sure. to touch upon a few things about this because uh, uh, it's it's like one of the things that uh, people think that this is uh, a revolutionary tool because it will cut corners uh, and you know make uh, you know be, uh, allow being creative at a, you know just a click of a button and. Uh, Really, it's. I think it's kind of like overhyped a little bit because sure. it's, it is powerful, definitely for for creating some specific things about art. But uh, the creative part of it really lies in the hands of, of someone that's using it, as as you mentioned. It's it's kind of still, it's yeah. uh, artificial intelligence. It's like it's kind of like a little bit over, like overhyped word for for what it is really. Yeah, and it's actually it's almost like. If you just type a prompt into Google image search, you will also get a lot of images, but you're not going to say, hey, I made those images. It's just Google giving you also, by the way, using some kind of machine learning, what it thinks you want to see. And I feel like if you're using Midjourney just with a prompt, it's kind of like Google image search, but just it mixes the results a bit. Yeah, plus, plus, there's, the, plus there's the whole controversy about the you know the things that uh, the models were trained on like yeah, yeah of course uh, yeah. and and the copyright issues with that and I, i'm i'm pretty curious how it will really roll out because uh, some lawsuits are popping up yeah. uh, in different countries and uh, it it's it's interesting because it's kind of like a technological revolution and it's also like an informa information revolution it's like uh, internet opened up the whole new space of things that are not so easy to judge what is right and what is wrong what's yeah. yeah yeah i also i wonder if it's if the way people feel about it is related to their to their age or something i don't know like if i if i asked if i ask my nieces who are like their kids if i ask them about it and they're they like to draw and they want to be in uh concept art or fashion and if i ask them about ai like aren't you worried that you're going to lose your job they really have no idea what i'm talking about for them it's just something fun but it's not not some big deal so they don't really care that much about it as i think somebody like you or me who are already working for a long time in this industry i think we see it more as a threat but maybe we shouldn't really worry about it that much <laughs> i don't know on the other hand i do see people on Twitter who are like artists who have built up their brand, you know, their their unique style for their whole life. And then some guy just feeds it into a machine learning algorithm and can just make that with one click, what costs them maybe four hours to make. Of course, that's heartbreaking. That's terrible. So yeah, that's the other side of the coin. Yeah, uh, but uh, let's let's hope that uh, you know it will turn out for for something good in the end. Like I'm thinking, like it's 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 it reminds me a little bit of the industrial revolution, mm -hmm. as it was. Like it it was shifting a lot of jobs and stuff. But you know there was also like for the art at, at least, uh, you know, photography didn't kill art. Uh, all the mm -hmm. inventions that were kind of viewed as a threat to you know threat to artists like hand drawing artists or whatever it, it didn't really uh kill this and i'm also thinking about uh, the the approach that uh, that is sold like the the word art industry or whatever like industry is kind of like it doesn't fit art very much because it's it's about production it's about qu quantity not uh, not always quality mm -hmm. and um 
I'm thinking that art is like a, a very human experience. It's at its core. That's so. true. Yeah. And I also wonder, I think that uh, process videos will become important. Like people showing that they're drawing or painting something like a time lapse. I think that will be, that will become more popular now because that's one way to prove like, well, this is really made by a human being and people do care about that, I think. And it's just fun to fun to see somebody work. Yeah, and I'm thinking that's it's also is is the process that it's uh, it's for the artist and also for the for the viewer. The whole experience is important, and you mm-hmm. you, you want to get things fast sometimes. And fast is is good in some areas, but in some areas, like really taking it slow is, is better. Like, you, do you want to eat your food fast? Right? You, you want to just eat the burger and be full or do you want to really enjoy right. a good well-prepared meal well, i think you, you choose the, the other one yeah yeah in terms of it it being fast and a shortcut and stuff i think when i look back at when i started being a freelancer i had a lot of clients who were like price buyers right like you have value buyers who don't care about the price that much they want something really good and you have price buyers who want something from fiverr like if it costs a hundred bucks and it's uh, good enough, then that's great. That's what they want. And I think those are the people who who those AI technologies are for, really, in a way. I think it it will replace something like Fiverr, but it won't replace ArtStation, <laughs> or it will replace maybe the hundred dollar video for a company, but it won't replace a fifty thousand euro you know, branding campaign, because it's something completely different. And in a way, I almost kind of want to, I kind of prefer to be rid of those kind of clients, you know, because they cause a lot of, um, I wouldn't say trouble, but they, they're not really good for, for artists when they're just starting out. And it's when people are starting out with their freelance business, they are quite vulnerable because they are, they're making a lot of mistakes. They don't know how to price things and so on. And those Fiverr clients will take advantage of that. And I think if they can just have their AI and uh, real people can focus on real serious customers, that's, that's kind of a good thing. Yeah, so let's let's maybe get back a little bit to to the story of uh, Blender Secrets. Uh, okay. you, you mentioned that you were doing the freelance jobs, uh, and uh, right now you're kind of like full time YouTube creator, right? And it's yes. it kind of pays your bills. So can you tell a little bit of a story about this? Yeah, uh, how, I, I how you came just, to that realization? Uh, it was very gradual because yeah, I was freelancing and. I always try to use Blender a little bit because I was mostly using After Effects and uh, Illustrator to make, uh, I was, yeah, just like Chris McFall in your previous uh, podcast, I was doing uh, colostomy bag animations and so on, literally. Uh, One of my biggest clients was Johnson & Johnson, the healthcare uh, company. And I was, yeah, making a lot of videos about cancer medicine and stuff. And I, I always had to animate uh, for example, cells, blood cells, and those kind of things. And wherever possible, I tried to use 3D. And um, I would just take a lot of notes. Like I would run into some problem. Okay, I would solve it. And I would write it down for myself so I would remember the next time because I was working at an hourly rate and I didn't want to have to <laughs> search for the tutorial again and watch an hour of uh, somebody explaining how to do this. And, and eventually, I just uh, thought it would be fun to make little Instagram videos of that. Um, I guess because my wife at the time had an Instagram channel. <laughs> I thought, ah, that's, that seems like fun. And uh, yeah, it was instantly quite well received. So I just kept going and I made one every day, uh, usually just before midnight, before going to bed. <laughs> just, uh, they were very short. Uh, like the first video was just six seconds long. And um it was quite easy to to make those, and they were also without voiceover and so on. That saves a lot of time. And uh, I did that for a whole year, just one every day. And I didn't have the book or anything yet at that time. And I started to think, hey, you know, maybe I should make a, a some kind of video course. And my idea was to make a, an Archvis course, actually. <laughs> 
but the problem is I am terrible at architectural visualization, so that just didn't turn out very well, and I give up. Um, and then I thought, well, I just I'll make a little ebook from the tips that I made in Instagram. So I just wrote them out with illustrations, with um, screenshots and stuff. And I think it was just, it was quite short at the beginning. It was more expensive than it is now. It was 45 euro for 100 tips. And now it's, I think, like 800, 600 or 800 tips. And uh, surprisingly, it sold. But it was like a book per day, something like that. So I couldn't just quit my day job. So I, I kept doing that for quite a while while I was freelancing um, for a couple of years. And at some point, I just started selling enough that I was able to focus only on that. But it wasn't from one day to the next. It really took years. Um, and yeah, at, at some point, I just told my clients, like, I'm sorry, I don't really have time anymore. <laughs> and uh, because I was working with them for a long time, I, I gave them several months. Like, I will gradually build uh built down my work uh load and um after two months that will be it uh which was very nice it's really nice to be able to say no to uh, <laughs> to clients when you're a freelancer like oh, i'm sorry i'm just too busy now so yeah yeah it was, and, uh, it was nice yeah that's great uh I'm I'm just wondering about this uh, you know daily upload uh, schedule. It's kind of like some people get into that. Uh, I don't know. Probably I think Beeple was the first uh, right. very popular right. artist that 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 kind of like drove this, and for 13 years or something like that before he like, exploded yeah. with the, with the NFT explosion. Right. But uh, mm, I'm finding that this is like a super hard. Like I tried to making these monthly challenges like in inktober stuff like that and yeah. it's really hard to really push through a month of it and <laughs> even it is hard like... yeah yeah but after a while you kind of you kind of feel like i have to do it because otherwise just i don't know you you kind of break this chain which nobody really cares about but you but uh yeah it was it was okay to but you just have to make it easy for yourself like like I said, I didn't have a voiceover. They were very short. It was just like, hey, if you want to select all these faces, just press L, for example. That That's it. That was the whole video. Mm -hmm. So, and then, yeah, gradually it just became more and more ambitious. So now I couldn't make one video per day. It would be uh, very, very difficult. I think sometimes... I wanted to ask whether you are still still keeping the schedule. and. No. Uh... Right, right now, how is it like you, you divide this in chunks, and uh, how how's your posting schedule on Blender Secrets nowadays? Well, I do repost a lot of old stuff because it's the Instagram channel, for example, is growing so fast that whenever I post an old video, it's new for a lot of people that are just subscribed. Um, so I make about I don't know one to three new videos per week, I think, on average. Uh, I would love to still make seven videos per week. It's just impossible. <laughs> sometimes it takes a week to research a topic. Uh, and sometimes I spend days working on a topic and it just doesn't pan out. Uh, like I'm I'm trying to make a video now about doing flow maps to make um, a Stranger Things like, you know, monster with the vines moving. And I know it's possible because that's how they did it in the show. But I just cannot figure it out how to how to make it work. So. And there are a lot of topics like that that I just I'm working on them, and maybe suddenly I'll have a I'll figure out. Oh yeah, now I know how to do it. But it's it's no longer a thing of like like when I when I did the first year of the Blender Secrets, I really did not know on the day what I was going to post that day. I had to figure it out real quick. And uh, now I um, I always have a bunch of videos in the pipeline, and I also work with an editor, uh, Tushar, who is also editing them so usually now i make actually a, a slightly longer version of the video and then i send it to him with a with a short voiceover and then he makes it shorter or i will just uh make the book uh article about it and then i send that to him with a voiceover and he records the screen even but it, it really depends on the on the topic but um yeah it takes many days now to make a 
short videos are, are, are a lot of work, actually. Yeah. It seems like, uh, you know, people watching Ian Hubert's uh, lazy tutorials, they, they call, they're called lazy, but I don't think that's, <laughs> there's nothing can lazy be lazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm, to, sure to I'm sure it costs him also a lot of time to make those, although he's, he's very quick. He's, I'm sure he's much faster than me. Yeah, like, I think it's brilliant the way, even the things that he shows. The brilliant thing about them is really sometimes uh, clever tricks and cutting corners where, where you can. Something like a sleight of hand of a magician. Like you, you just not need to know how to trick the viewers, and that's yeah. all. Yeah, he he's worked so long already in Blender, <clears throat> excuse me, that he's got just this super efficient workflow, I think, where he's shaved off all the stuff that is not necessary it's it's pretty entertaining also to watch i was um or i am uh, on his patreon and um he does also record long like one hour videos where he's modeling stuff and usually it, it's i don't really learn anything from it but it's just so entertaining to watch him do his thing it's just like doing like showing uh, like seeing a magician you know <laughs> i i try his technique sometimes but i'm not good at it like the modeling from photographs it's it he makes it seem easy but it's really not that easy <laughs> yeah probably if you, you know model that a thousand times then it yeah. becomes easy <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. uh yeah so so uh, you've published uh like a, a giant amount of videos up till now and i would like to know uh what was your most successful video so far um, there's one video about how to make holes in, in surfaces. Uh, it's, it's a slightly longer one. It's, um, probably about five or 10 minutes. I think that is definitely the most popular one. And then there's one about, um, NURBS in Blender, which for some reason is super popular. <laughs> I don't know. People love NURBS. I think I, I, think I know the reason and it, it kind of oh, ties the, uh, why the video about holes uh okay, was, yeah. the, was one of the most because it okay. seems like your audience is very interested in hard surface modeling and that's I hope so. and i have some experience in cad before before uh, like yeah. alongside blender I've, i was uh, learning to use uh, rhino a little bit and okay. it's like a totally different approach right now uh, an app mm. was released uh, recently plasticity, plasticity yeah. and it's yeah. uh, gaining very uh, much popularity um, yeah, amongst artists that are doing Mesh modeling because they want to try this CAD approach. It's so much different. It's uh... yeah, yeah. And in Blender, it's it's very superficial. Like you can use NURBS a little bit, but not, it's not really. a full <laughs> not a full tool set, not at all. No, no. And I think it's it's not even planned because it's like a totally totally different uh, approach. It's a different core philosophy about modeling. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Mm. It would be like a separate Blender. Yeah, but I guess, I mean, sculpting is also a very different approach to, to modeling than polygonal modeling. Uh, and you have also metaballs and... Uh, yeah, perhaps. And, uh, you know, Blender, yeah. Blender is a Swiss knife. Ways. Yeah. It would be fun if, if you could do stuff like plasticity in Blender or like uh, VR modeling. That would also be really fun. Uh, yeah, but I guess that's, that's the that's the blessing and the curse of Blender being everything for everyone, and it's like it's not perfect for for no one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At the end, you need developers for all of that. So, sure. uh, so talking about Blender, like what what would be the most exciting Blender feature that has been added into Blender, for example, like last year? Well. For me, all the I, I love sculpting, so all the new sculpting features are always the most exciting thing for me. Um, and sometimes they're they are already there, and the exciting thing for me is just discovering that they were there all along. <laughs> like uh, I was, um, I was, uh, I figured out that you can slice stuff. Like in ZBrush, I used to use ZBrush, and you can slice objects very easily. And I thought it wasn't possible in Blender, but it is apparently, and there are a couple of ways to do it. So I was very happy about that. Of course, that's not a very uh, sexy topic or something. Uh, it's not like GeoNotes or... But for me, those are interesting. And I guess for sculpting, they improved the post brush in a quite interesting way. thought it was pretty exciting. Like you can mix it with cloth simulation. So you can pose a character with clothing and the clothing will really 
deform using clotting, that kind of stuff. So there are, there are a lot of things being added to the sculpt mode that I think are very interesting. But of course, uh, geometry nodes is developing very quickly as well, I think. It's just really not on my radar yet. So uh, I don't know about Yeah, it's, it. kind, it's kind of sad that the, the sculpting development uh, slowed down a little bit after Pablo Navarro leaving yeah. the ship, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's doing like an interesting project uh, of his own, like this cozy mm -hmm. blanket app for retopology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the sculpting things uh, in Blender really took off uh, because of his improvements. I think a lot, for a sure. lot of uh, credit for him. Right. And but I, I was following it because I'm also interested in in sculpting area of Blender a lot. And I'm trying to to learn it from I think since a year and a half, like more okay. intensively. Uh, and uh, I was also looking online for uh, for some things about that, and found out the channel. Uh, it, it's called Outgang, Outgang, and it's um, run by a, a character artist that's work for for AAA Studios, and uh, okay. using using ZBrush, and right now learning Blender as well. And the, there was mm -hmm. a video talking about the, how Blender is better than ZBrush, and it was like. Oh my God, that's that's kind of like a clickbaity title, <laughs> yeah, very clickbaity. But it was really like it 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 caught uh, some nice uh, key points uh, about uh, that there are actually advantages of using Blender uh, over ZBrush. Oh yeah, sure. I have ZBrush. I, I love ZBrush, but uh, I don't use it that much anymore because it's just so convenient that you can do polygonal modeling and sculpting in the same app. And you can do that actually in ZBrush, but it's just very clunky. Uh, ZBrush was actually never meant as a modeling app even, or as a sculpting app. It's just a 2D and a half concept art app. But mm -hmm. um, it, I would say, yeah, ZBrush, it's just very smooth. Like even 10 years ago, I was sculpting million polygon models in ZBrush on an old crappy laptop, no problem. And now you can also do that in Blender. And it's just because, I don't know, I guess Blender has improved, but hardware has improved a lot, right? Uh, memory is now very cheap. So hardware is kind of helping Blender catch up to ZBrush. And ZBrush does have a very bizarre interface <laughs> that uh, even after more than 10 years, I still am not getting used to it. And... Um, yeah, that that kind of makes uh, Blender yeah. and ZBrush, ZBrush, you know, kin <laughs> because Blender was also famous for for having the weirdest UI in in this space. Yeah, but it's improved a lot. ZBrush is still the same as ten years ago, like exactly the same. Which is why it's so funny that they are now trying to sell this uh, subscription. Like, why why would you subscribe to something that never changes? <laughs> it's so strange. Yeah, that's just because of the whole acquisition model. Because yeah. ZBrush was bought by by Maxon, and that's you know all over the industry. That's their like model. That yeah. happened, yeah. and yeah, Substance Painter bought by Adobe. Like uh, all those big companies, like swallowing projects, just, project after project. I just think it's funny. I keep getting emails from Maxon offering me fifty percent discount on a ZBrush subscription, even though I've already purchased ZBrush <laughs> lifetime, uh, a lifetime. Uh, license so it's funny that they want me to buy it again anyway yeah maybe they, they're considering your lifetime over <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> i don't know yeah. it's kind of strange uh, yeah so so talking about um about uh, work uh, sculpting like you are interested in or other things like do you mm, make your own cgi projects like private passion-driven ones uh, that are not related to the tutorials that you're offering to the audience? Mm. Or are you just like allergic to Blender after after hours, so to speak? No, no. Um, I, I think it's very important that you have your own private projects. But I try to make that the source of my tutorials because I think tutorials are always better when they're based on real projects. Um, because it's then that you encounter interesting new stuff or interesting uh, roadblocks. So if I didn't do any 3D in my spare time, it's not really my spare time, I guess, but uh, if I didn't try to make something, then I would also not be able to make any interesting tutorials, I think. So, but it's, it's frustrating, isn't it? With 3D, it's one of those 
super technical art skills where most of the time you're just trying to make something <laughs> but you're just constantly facing all these technical challenges and you have to learn new things and you have to solve something that suddenly doesn't work and uh, it can be frustrating i find sometimes i just want to make something but instead i'm Searching on Blender Stack Exchange, how to exactly. solve something. So, so do you ever try to automate any tasks that you're doing, like using Python or, as you mentioned, geometry yeah. journals is one of the ways? I did recently, um, but uh, maybe a bit controversial, I used ChatGPT to make a Python script um, because I wanted to have um, in the... Uh, in a cloud simulation, I wanted to have a, a whole bunch of empties randomly scattered with hooks on a on a piece of clothing so that I could pull on them in a simulation. And so I thought, well, I can probably easily make a Python script in chat GPT. So I just asked it, like, yeah, make a script for Blender that does blah, blah. And um, it kind of worked a little bit, but not really. So then I had to start learning Python and... <laughs> copy pasting the parts that I needed. And actually it turned out to be pretty easy because you can just copy the, you can just do something that you want it to do. And then you see what the code for that is. And you can just copy paste it in a notepad text document. And so I kind of half got there with ChatGPT, and then the other half I did myself. And that was kind of uh, fun, uh, fun to learn. But, um, that's probably the only thing I've ever automated. Mm, on and that's, that kind of re resonates with some of my experience. Like uh, the um, the thing that you mentioned that you really need your projects to be able to to learn something new and uh, to make it mm -hmm. kind of relatable, fun, and uh, kind of like grounded in something real. Uh, and I found that exactly like trying to learn Python one one time. Like I, I really thought that it would be uh, like a nice tool. Under my to uh, under my belt, so to speak, and uh, I even bought a course about this, and, and tried to also doing doing this course uh, by Sibren Suvel on Blender Cloud, uh, and it's a great course. Mm -hmm. It's very like I, I could understand the concepts, but I really like this one thing with with all the courses that I made. Like I have quite a lot of theoretical knowledge about Python and how it should be done, but I really didn't have that incentive to really apply this to anything, any yeah. real task. Yeah, yeah. And so that it's kind of stays like a empty, empty skill that's not yeah. used, and it's a really it's it's not a real tool. Uh, tool and then, for me and to then use. you forget, then you forget the theory again. That's also yeah. the danger. And very very quickly, it's, yeah. it evaporates from my memory. Mm, true. Yeah. So I really need to to think cleverly about trying to implement this in some of my real time uh -huh. <laughs> tasks yeah. and challenges. Yeah. Now I'm trying to make something. What I want to make with geometry nodes is a kind of um, base mesh generator for uh, like robot models. So I think that's something that it could be suitable for because I've seen a lot of people make like spaceship generators and things like that. So I think a robot generator should not be uh, too difficult, but uh, <laughs> I'm still trying to figure it out. Yeah, so, so good luck with that. I will, uh, I'll be <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> follow, following you online to, to see if it results in something workable. Actually, I think um, just doing that manually, just making a cool like silhouette for a robot model or something, it's also very difficult. It's because if you look at all of the all of the steps of making a robot model, robot character. Um, Probably the silhouette I find is the most difficult thing, even though that's the least technical thing. It's just literally you can just have a piece of paper and a pen and you can try to draw it. But um, all those other steps are technical and you can just learn that. But that first creative step is very intimidating, I think, to try to come up with something really good. And that's, why I, that's why I wanted to make that base mesh generator to kind of give you something more than just a blank page. I, I saw that there were tools for that uh, some time ago. I've seen Alchemy, I think. It was like a very simple tool with some Sounds symmetries. Familiar. 
yeah. simple symmetry and it was for drawing like shapes of a silhouette for yeah, concept yeah. art generally yeah. so you just drew a, a bunch of uh, strokes and it turned out to be something like a like an ink splash it's kind of like a rorschach uh, test ink mm. splash that you can imagine this would be a character or a robot or whatever and then you yeah. could take it to, to 3d software i think it's kind of a little bit like uh, i think i tried that Jam one. Yeah. Jama Jurabayev showed his uh, way of working with grease pencil that you just draw a bunch yeah. of lines and then you turn it into 3D mesh and you have something to start with. Yeah, he's another person who has a really unique workflow, right? That's interesting. He just, uh, I've never seen anybody do it like that. And he just uses that to make uh, concept art for Jurassic Park and Star Wars. <laughs> it's amazing. And he's using a lot of uh, a lot of different tools and kind of combining them, yeah. doing some stuff in this tool and some stuff in other tools, and he's just like doing this conglomerate at the end and very high quality yeah. output. Uh, so, so are there? You mentioned uh, you mentioned After Effects that you were using this in your um, in your yeah. freelance jobs, uh, and apart from from After Effects and Blender. Are there and zebras that you mentioned? Are there any other tools that you have tried, and what made you like three D tools, for example, and what made you yeah. stick with Blender? Um, well, I, I was pretty good with three D Max. That's the first program I ever used for three D, and I really enjoyed it. But it's very expensive, <laughs> and it was more expensive, I think, even in the past. And I'm sure now they have a subscription service or something, but. Um, I think it was like almost 10,000 euro or something when I was uh, using that. And um, and then I, I tried to learn Maya for a while and that didn't really catch on. And uh, yeah, I honestly don't remember when I tried Blender for the first time, but I probably tried it several times before 2.79, where it was that bizarre horizontal interface. And that I, I could never figure out how to do anything with that. <laughs> so it really wasn't until 2.79, I think, that I really took off with Blender. So not that long ago. But so, yeah, to answer your question, 3D Max, Maya. And actually, before, and that's something I, I'm trying to figure out, but before 3DS Max, I had some other software that I got from a, a disk. You know how there used to be. 3D magazines with demo discs and so on. Um, I don't know if you know. I don't know how old you are. <laughs> if, in fact, I'm I'm old enough to remember, uh, you know, programs uh, loaded via cassette tape. Okay, yeah. Okay, deck, me too. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My but first I, computer was I, I literally... yeah, Spectrum. Is that Spectrum? Oh, okay. That was yeah. my first. Okay, mine was a Commodore 64. But I literally don't remember the name of that software, unfortunately. Uh, well, anyway. Great. Like Blender is also old, really. If you take a dive into like prehistory so, yeah. pre pre of Blender, it's also like dates to like deep 90s somewhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Probably 20 years old or something or 30. Or... Yeah, I think that 1.0 was, yeah, something around half of the 90s. I, I'm not really sure. So I, I just don't want to. <laughs> mislead our audience anyway uh so you mentioned the the, the printed printed copies like you can you can like buy the uh, ebook version of your uh of your uh short yeah. books. people ask me if there's a physical copy but it would just be insanely expensive first of all but more importantly it would just be out of date very quickly because i i do update it i try to update it at least four times a year um, and it's it's really necessary with Blender because it develops so quickly. And if people buy a physical book after a year, there will be a lot of stuff in it that will not work anymore. So, but mainly also it would just be super expensive. Two thousand pages, full color. Yeah, <laughs> I I remember that I was uh, I was learning from a printed book some time ago, like a, a long time ago. I bought like a, sure. uh, in my native sp speech. Uh, like any, like a Bible of Blender or something like that. It was uh, it was really good, and I still have it somewhere uh, on my on my shelf. And it's 
quite nice to like, look at this uh, mm-hmm. book uh, like a time capsule because it's so outdated right now <laughs> but some of uh, some of the core concepts still are relevant but you know a lot of it it's like it's like a history book that's yeah, yeah, that's yeah. how 3d was like oh, 10 years I, ago i didn't know they had something like that for blender i i did learn 3ds max from a book as well yeah from the library also out of date but it still it still worked for the most part yeah, some 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 more more fundamental concepts might be a good idea for a book. Really, like I recently bought a yeah. book, book about anatomy for artists, for example. If you want to like learn stuff that really doesn't change, <laughs> like yeah. they might they might you know discover something new, fascinating about the human body, but like a lot of it is already known and it won't change probably unless we yeah, you know, yeah. cyber enhance it. <laughs> I bet you can make a book like that for three D if you just make it software agnostic and just say like well there are vertices and there are edges and polygons and so on and uh, i mean those things are the same regardless of what software you use so i think you could explain a lot of those things without ever saying like this specific software you have to click on this probably it's possible to make a book like that Yes, yeah, so so maybe about uh, the digital outlets of your of your content. Uh, let me ask you about uh, because you are offering a short form content which was popular on YouTube because of the shorts feature, and it was mm-hmm. all inspired by TikTok. And I wanted to ask you whether you ever tried running a TikTok <laughs> account. Um, yeah, actually, I I did, and I, I think I had at the most maybe three followers or something, and then I just gave up <laughs> because it was just not working at all. And uh, actually, the the YouTube channel kind of suffered a little bit from the shorts format because uh, before that, you could just watch my videos and just pause and rewind and comment underneath and stuff. And then they automatically changed them to shorts because they were usually less than one minute long. And now I just, every day I get complaints from people. Why did you turn them into shorts? Now I cannot pause it. And and it's like, I didn't do anything. (laughs) It's not my fault. Uh, and I did notice the sales of the book actually went down a little bit because people could not go to the description to find my links. But yeah, uh, shorts, it's useful. Uh, nothing against shorts, but uh, I don't think it really helped the channel. And it doesn't seem to work on something like TikTok because TikTok is more for entertainment and Blender Secrets is a typical... Uh, what they call search channel like uh, people are not going to sit down on Saturday morning with a bag of cookies and watch some fun Blender Secrets videos Uh, they just will search uh, when they have a problem they think maybe I can find that on Blender Secrets and then they will search for that problem and then they solve it and then they leave again so it's a very different kind of channel that doesn't work on something like TikTok I think unless maybe I um, make some very special content, like I'm doing a little dance with a <laughs> Rococo smart suit or something. Who knows? <laughs> Need to think yeah. about it. Yeah, also, I, I also tried the, it for a short time, uh, some time ago, and uh, I really found it super hard to even consume the content. On Maybe it's, <laughs> it's the age thing. Like young people are more more Probably. excited about this, but I also think that it's, it's a little bit, you know, even the entertainment form that it offers, it's kind of like, I, f- I felt really like brainwashed after after a few <laughs> moments with it. It's like you, you used to see stuff like that in movies, like in Clockwork Orange, Clockwork Orange. Like <laughs> people are actually brainwashed yeah. this way, like offering so much visual stimuli at a very short time. <laughs> this is, sure. I don't think it's healthy, even as an entertainment form. Not for a long time, no. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so, so. Yeah, sorry. The, well, maybe maybe finish your sentence and I'll ask the question. Well, I, I do think uh, shorts on YouTube can be entertaining. I do watch it sometimes. But uh, to be honest, I have no experience watching TikTok. I just, that's also my, my mistake. I tried to just upload what I already had there. And I never really explored what people post on TikTok. So maybe I need to do that. But uh, it's also maybe not good to focus on too many channels. Um, like I've already got, you know, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Reddit. Uh, it's maybe enough. And I tried Mastodon. Uh, 
it's also uh, I, I do still post new videos there but nobody sees it so. yeah it's it's a different beast like i also tried the doing a little bit of muscle after this whole Twitter drama thing yeah, that, that yeah. was happening. And I, yeah, I, I'm using it from time to time, but it seems like it's a totally different philosophy because it doesn't yeah. have the feed as, the, as all the other ones that are driven by an algorithm. You just need mm -hmm. to really actively search for the content that you want to see. Like if you follow people and yeah. enable notifications, then you see pe people posting, but you have to do that actively. Yeah. So it's more in the hands of the user, but it's also like, less you know you don't get found just by accident uh, that much i guess yeah i wonder how that platform. works i think it's important that you like or re retweet i guess it's called there uh things um that probably helps uh and it just that's how the that platform works everybody has to kind of share each other's stuff it's not suggested to you um but yeah i don't know it seemed like a good idea and i'm still on it uh, and I'm waiting to see what happens. Yeah, I think this need, needs a critical mass to really start working sure. yeah. the way expected. But uh, let's let's maybe imagine uh, all of this digital world disappearing for a moment. Like, let's imagine a long blackout. All the <laughs> electricity is gone and no AI, no Blender, no Twitter drama. <laughs> so what does Jan van den Hemel resort to doing to keep sane? Oh, I'll just start reading books. <laughs> I love reading books. That's uh, in the weekend. I actually usually take a break from the computer, uh, or I try to anyway. And I'll just spend the whole morning reading in bed. So as long as I have some uh, some electricity for a light, then I'll be fine. Well, you can you can use you know just or candles yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or sunlight, you know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, when, when preparing, preparing for the podcast, I discovered like we were trying to schedule the date and I discovered that you are a morning bird person, kind of like yeah, getting up very early. Yeah. And I found it uh, relatable because I'm the same. Like a lot of my family is not like that. They, they tend to be the owl, owl type person going late mm -hmm. to bed. And I really like uh, getting up early and working at these hours. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I also found, found that annoying that uh, at least in my town, uh, the world is not like built for for morning birds, not, not at all. At least I, know. I, yeah. I try to find some some place like a coffee shop or, or uh, mm. like a restaurant that opens up early. There are very little places like that. All the things are set up for afternoon evenings. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> I kind of like that to be honest. Uh, the world is still sleeping when I get up. It's just very quiet. That's one of the reasons I get up early. It's just it's so quiet that I can just uh, concentrate very easily because I'm very easily distracted. Like if something happens in the street, I'll be distracted. A car drives by, I'll be distracted. But in the morning, there's just nothing. It's just quiet, so I can just work for hours and hours. Like my my watch has to remind me sometimes. Hey, you have to stand up and walk around a bit. It's not healthy to sit for so long. And I I'll just have no problem concentrating. But uh, I guess it depends on on where you live, right? I mean. In really big cities, you definitely can go out at four o'clock and get a cup of coffee. Just uh, where where do you live, by the way? Eugene? Yeah, I'm, I live in Gdańsk, by the Baltic okay. Sea. Is Poland. it a big? City? It's like a quite big for for at least Polish standards, but it's not a like super huge yeah. city. It's like it's, it's like three cities connected because it's Gdańsk, Lina, and Sopot, so it's like it's called Tri City yeah. here. So a little bit of a bigger agglomeration, but uh, yeah, it's not mm -hmm. a huge, huge city like New York or London. So. No, no. Okay. Yeah, in New York, you can definitely get anything you want at four o'clock. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, but probably maybe maybe not. Uh, yeah, quiet and focused. <laughs> that's, that's no, no. I, I would prefer to have the. I would prefer it that stuff stops for a few hours at night. I, I prefer that. Although yeah. I would like it if the library opened at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, yeah, that's great. So um, we're we're kind of like getting close to an hour, and I was thinking about making it. I even made a survey about uh, how long <laughs> uh -huh. on Twitter on Twitter how long people uh, are listening to a podcast, and it turned out that the, the hour mark is kind of like digestible for people. Yeah, yeah, because I tend to be to have the uh, the episodes longer. 
like I, I used to uh, run the CG Talks podcast and it was uh, very often longer. Then we tried cutting it into, into parts. Yeah, but I'm thinking that this hour mark is, is quite good. Yeah, uh, so. especially for, for modern people that are trained on, t- <laughs> on TikTok and not have a long focus span. And maybe I'll, I could just uh, to end this up, um, I could like advise them to yeah, follow you online, or watch your videos and uh, your book whenever they need some, some tips for Blender. If they want something you know, more focused, just <laughs> buy a good book and read, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah, just they can follow me on YouTube. I think that's the best place because on YouTube, I only post uh, new stuff. So, if they don't want to get confused by all the old reposts, like on Twitter, I repost a lot of things. So then they should just stick to YouTube. And it's also easier to search. If you have some problem, you can search on the YouTube channel for that. And it's a bit easier, I think. Yeah, is there um, maybe, maybe uh, is there anything more that you would like to speak on the podcast? Or uh, I have like one uh, final question. Um, no, I don't know. You can ask me the question. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was. I would like to just know uh, w- um, what are your kind of future plans on the on the channel? Is it just like going um, going with the regular schedule of posting and doing the same thing, or are anything uh, else that you're planning for this year, for example, that, that's interesting for your channel's viewers? Um, I don't know if I should talk about it, but I am. I'm working on a video course, but I'm already working on it for I think at least a year and a half. Uh, of course, it's um, hard service robots stuff. <laughs> uh, actually, it's, it's it's kind of concept art, uh, concept art sculpting in Blender specifically. And um, I actually already wanted to release that last year, but it turns out I just have to still learn a lot of stuff before I can really uh, finish that. And uh, that's something that uh, I can look forward to. And for the rest, yeah, I just, I'll try to keep posting the one-minute videos, to be honest. Uh, I think there are still so many topics that I need to touch on. So I'm trying to learn geometry notes, for example. <laughs> Hopefully I can, I don't know if that's even possible, but I'll try to put that in one-minute videos somehow. If you find a clever clever way to put, put that into chunks, yeah. I guess. You could like the whole idea of notes is like you. Uh, you know compartmentalizing, <laughs> compartmentalizing the actions into into small boxes and connecting yeah. them together. Yeah. So yeah. your videos are kind of like nodes. You have to connect them in your brain. <laughs> all the tips. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so that's exciting. Like the the course thing is kind of like a, you know using these small tools and building something bigger. And it's as you yeah, said, it's, it's, it's it's difficult. I'm I'm not used to. I'm not used to it because my attention span tends to only have to be for like one minute videos, you know, like there's the, there's the attention span of the viewer, but there's also the attention span of the creator. And when you're working on a course, you have to keep so many separate elements in your brain. It's, it's just, uh, it's difficult, really very difficult. I'm, I'm so impressed by people like Zach from CG Boost who can just do that. I'm sure it's it's not easy, but they make it seem kind of easy. And I I had to spend a lot of time just learning how to talk on a microphone and model at the same time, like demonstrate something and record, which is how he does that. Uh, I just had to I had to train myself for that because I just normally write the voiceover text, then I record the voiceover text, and I I literally say every sentence like ten times before I think it's good enough. And it's it's just a very different way of working. So I had to make a switch and train myself for a different kind of content creation. Yeah. So that's that's that seems like a new challenge and exciting yeah. exciting thing ahead. So if anyone wants uh, wants to learn Blender tips or Blender concept art in the future in your course, I, I highly recommend following your channel. It's very useful. And if you have any Thanks. Yeah, anything that you want to use for, for your Blender magic and Blender secrets are, you know, is the is the place to go. So thanks sure. again, uh, Jan, for for taking the time to record this Thank show. You. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, Maybe we'll see each other at uh, Beacon this 
this year. Oh yeah, that's are you going? actually yeah, actually that was one thing that I wanted to ask and, and kind of forgot. So so let's okay. end on this on this more community note about, about Blender conference. Like, have you have you been to the to the last Blender conference? Yeah, yeah, yeah I was there. Yeah, yeah so we fun. kind of. We, we kind of must, must have crossed past, but yeah, uh, yeah. Crossed the on the staircase. <laughs> I was talking about this with some people because this was my first conference, in fact, and uh, and some people said that the, before a pandemic, when uh, it was in a different venue, it was smaller and it had like more. You, you were you were able to meet everyone actually, and uh, it was like mm -hmm. a more small had a smaller vibe, but the mm -hmm. the, the last one also had an nice uh, nice feeling to it but you know it was big enough just to cross paths but not meet yep. uh, yeah so i'm really hoping to be the, um this this year not sure yet if i will be able to but yeah really hoping to but I, after this first thing when you go to this conference you really want to get back because it's uh, such a cool event yeah it's, it was surprisingly fun uh i didn't really know what to expect and uh yeah, it was just fun to meet all those people that I've talked to online, you know, and uh, see them uh, in real life. Uh, I meet all the CG boost people, but I didn't meet you somehow. It's very strange. Yeah, because uh, I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't yet working for CG boost yeah. at that time. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, I also met uh, the CG boost people there, and also uh, like a lot of people that I knew uh, from like some kind of online online meetings, like. Uh, the podcast uh, conversations uh, uh, that I had, but also a lot of people that I wasn't really aware that they were using Blender. There's so many new people around there, and it was really cool to see, you know, people interested in so many different areas of Blender and cre really yeah. creative ways of using it. Yeah, like fashion, for example, something oh, I've yeah, never it's... thought about before. Fashion is, is is something that also kind of like resonates with me privately because uh, my wife is is sewing, and okay. uh, actually the, the the very thing that I'm wearing here is oh, cool. is, uh, is her kind of new product and it's also using some of my hand drawn art on a print. So oh nice! Yes, uh, she, yeah, she's preparing to launch it as a product actually, uh, and I'm always thinking about how to use Blender somehow in this in this uh, process. And yeah. uh, recently, I've discovered this uh, sewing patterns, uh, uh, UV UV to sewing patterns in Blender add-on. And I think that you've also made a video about this. Seems to uh, seems to sewing or something. It's called. All right. So a little bit of uh, technical issues and uh, web connection. We're going wonky, but we're back here. So uh, we were talking about the Blender conference and uh, fashion things that we discovered. Uh, and uh, I'm trying to implement Blender into something that I like me and my wife are working on uh, the fashion design thing. Like I'm always thinking about using Blender in in other places than just my regular work. Yeah. Did you use it? Because you said you were using it for arches, uh, architecture visualization. Do you use it like to uh, do the decoration of your apartment or something or to decide where to put stuff? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's also something that I'm using it. Uh, like, Usually it's not at the super pro level. Like I'm trying to, to make it simple and uh, you know, just block block things out. But Blender right. is very useful for that. It's it's easy to, to kind of at least get a feeling of the space. Yeah, yeah. yeah Usually, I, I have designed yeah. some uh, simple shelves in Blender before, <laughs> just so that I knew what uh, how big the wood was that I had to buy and stuff like that. <laughs> it's it's yeah, kind exactly. of convenient. Yeah. Yeah, usually I don't do like a super polished ArcVis product for my own needs because uh -huh. there's no time for it and there's no no need really for that. Uh, actually, it's uh, I just need to have a vision in my in my brain and maybe it sometimes help to to feel to get the feeling of the space. But uh, yeah. yeah, otherwise that's it's... something I think that's really missing. If I may still ramble on a little bit, uh, uh, a really serious professional architectural visualization course for Blender. I think that's something that's Either I just haven't found it or it just really doesn't exist because I did one very big, much too big for me project for a client once. Architectural visualization, I spent several months on it. And it was really a nightmare because I I just couldn't get good renders and I couldn't get good tutorials or information about how to make it better. Mm -hmm. I think that one uh, one 
YouTube channel and uh, uh, the guy behind the Chocofor uh, web store Chocofor, with models. Right. Yeah. yeah, Lex Sokolowski, and he's uh, he's kind of like specializing in ArcGIS a little bit, and I think he made a course about this uh, some time ago, yeah. and it's like a full-blown interior visualization course. Uh, okay, and does it use cycles or EV or...? Uh, cycles Unreal? Uh, okay. i guess cycles but I've, I've seen people using different things for for uh, especially for interiors that like corona corona render engine was very popular yeah. and it also it was popular uh, possible to use it in blender to some extent but not the latest versions and like right. it was quite a yeah. quite a quirky approach mm -hmm. but uh, there were there are some people like using it for really high quality renderings uh, with octane and I yeah. think it's quite it's quite a popular setup. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I, one of my clients was um, uh, also an architecture visualization company, and uh, they commissioned me to make hundreds of furnitures from an existing catalog. That was kind of a fun job, actually. <laughs> just uh, this catalog of a real furniture and design company, and I just had to make everything in Blender. That was a, a fun job. I, I became faster at modeling doing that because I, I way underpriced myself a really beginner mistake and i was doing them for like 10 euro per model or something stupid like that so i had to force myself to become really quick <laughs> yeah that's a, a perfect place for for placing some automation also or at least cutting corners in some yeah, areas yeah, yeah. in that yeah but uh, all that experience uh, distilled is put into Blender Secrets. So yes. anyone of, of you listening right now, just go online. Um, and if you want to learn learn Blender to be better, faster, more efficient in Blender, then every secret that you might think of is probably already on the channel or will be in the future. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. thanks again. And um, I hope you see, to see you online soon or maybe on the Blender conference, hopefully this year. Yeah, that would be great. See you then. Or see you Thank online you. on the yeah, CG Boost Slack, maybe. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thanks. Right. Thanks a lot, DJ. Bye. Bye.